0: Welcome to Ticket Splitters, the Grassroots Midwest podcast. Our guests this week are Lansing Power Couple, Susan Demas and Joe DeSano. Susan Demas is editor-in-chief of Michigan Advance, a cutting-edge progressive news publication that covers politics and policy in Michigan. She's also a veteran reporter and columnist with a deep understanding of how Michigan government works. Joe DeSano is a veteran Democratic political consultant known for his hard-hitting communications and for winning tough races for Democratic candidates up and down the ballot. Thanks so much for joining us, Joe and Susan. I want to start out asking Susan about Michigan Advance. This is a relatively new publication, um, but it already seems like an entrenched part of the political landscape. Can you talk a little bit about what your goals are for Michigan Advance and what the vision was?
1: Yeah, so we've been around since early December of last year. It kind of kicked off in the madness of William Duck. Um, obviously, I've been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked for various publications, you know. MERS ran Inside Michigan Politics for five years and have worked for a bunch of papers in the Midwest. Um, So, you know, I kind of used my experience, you know, of what I liked and what I didn't like in the media to kind of guide our vision. Um, We have four other staffers. I've got a, a really interesting, broad team. Uh, Ken Coleman works out of Detroit. Um, so he covers a lot of stuff out in Southeast Michigan for us. Um, Michael Gerstein covers mostly environmental issues, some immigration uh, based in Lansing. Derek Robertson came from PloCo Magazine. He's my deputy editor and um, does a lot of in-depth um, reporting for us. And then Nick Manis uh, still lives in West Michigan. And, um, you know, covers a lot of business issues because that's his world. So and the world of West Michigan. Yeah. So um, anyway, you know, we've got a good press corps. Um, You know, I don't think that there are. Um, there's a problem like in other states where there are zero capital reporters, which Mm -hmm. is a tragedy, but you know, there are plenty of stories that don't get covered. Mm -hmm. Um, plenty of publications that write a lot for lobbyists and, you know, political junkies like all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was kind of hoping to tackle some of the issues that aren't covered as much and for people who may hate politics, but hopefully pick us up. So, um, hopefully it's been a success, um, You know, I'm still writing columns that people hate. So, you know, there's that. And, um, you know, I think at this point, um, you know, a lot of people have talked to us from the governor on down. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to say that we've done pretty well and there's a lot more to do. So, you know, hopefully we um, are making a difference. And if we're not, people should, you know, tell us what we should be doing instead.
0: Yeah, I think you're kind of understating the case in terms of doing pretty well. I've been pretty impressed with the... You know, the publication obviously has a little bit of a um, progressive bent to it, even though it's straight news, but you've been able to get access really well to folks sort of across the political mm-hmm. spectrum. Um, and to your earlier point, you know, there are publications that do the daily grind, right? This is what happened in the legislature. They don't do it in a ton of depth, but they do a really good job of briefing you on these are the bills that were up. This is how it went in committee. This is how it went on the floor. Um, but don't dig much deeper. And then you've got, you know, the the big Detroit dailies that um, um, when something's big and controversial, they're going to cover it and they'll do some depth, but they're not getting to kind of everything. Um, and they, uh, I think, the nice thing for me um, as one of those political junkies, you mentioned, you guys are putting stuff out on the daily. Um, and it tends to be pretty deep dives about stuff. There's also the opinion content that you mentioned that you're doing. Um, so it seems like a pretty well rounded, uh, publication for people who want to be able to engage a little bit. I've been, I've been frankly encouraging, um, you know, some of my more conservative friends to read it. Um, uh, but also, like, why, why isn't anybody, you know, with your sort of perspective doing something similar on the other side? Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the more the merrier there. And you brought up the team of folks that you've got, which I think is a, a big part of the success you guys uh, have had so far. You know, I ran into Nick up at the Mackinac Policy Conference. Mm-hmm. Um well, off island, because I'm more of an off island kind of guy. Me too. Uh, <laughs> in the uh but um you know there's been there's been great content across a whole wide range of things. How did you settle on the people that you ended up with? Ken and Nick and Gerstein, who I've been a huge fan of for a while.
1: Yeah. You know, I took a a wide look, you know, talked to folks in and out of the state. um, And, uh, you know, really a big part of this was finding people who were you know, interested in working for a startup, Um, you know, when you go to work for AP or the free press, you know, those are venerable institutions that have been around for a long time, do a great job. And the way that they've done things in many ways is the way they've done things, you know, for 150 years. And Mm -hmm. and that, you know, there's a value in that. But for me, you know, having run businesses and started things up and, and remade IMP a lot, you know i view this as a huge opportunity you know we can make this what we want if something doesn't work let's do something else but that's not for everybody so i wanted to get people who you know wanted to do different things and wanted to put you know some more of their voice into stories and and cover the issues that maybe you know their previous editors had said no to yeah. um and i think that's a, a large part of how the team came together and i think that's part of the reason why I think some of our stuff is a little more distinctive because, you know, we we want to get into things and issues in a different way. Even if yeah. it's, you know, a, a story on line five that everybody is doing, hopefully we're giving you a little more perspective than other people have and, and digging into some of the broader issues because I think there's real value in that.
0: I agree. And uh, you brought up a great point. In terms of the folks that you've brought on board, uh, you know, I started Grassroots Midwest a little over six years ago and finding people who not just want to, but uh, have the aptitude, the sort of desire to work in that. Startup entrepreneurial kind of environment, especially when you're doing something new and different, uh, that hasn't necessarily been done before, it is really hard. And you seem to have, uh, you seem to have kind of knocked it out of the park with the, uh, you know, the the first team that you brought in, um, in terms of the reporters and the content that they've been able to generate. So, um, th- that's been great, and I've really enjoyed uh, reading the publication. Shifting gears a little bit. So Joe, there's um there's obviously a little bit of overlap uh, between what you do and what Grassroots Midwest does. Um, and we're always very careful and wary in our interactions with reporters. Um, you're married to a reporter. I am. Um, Boy, that's that's quite a quite a uh, experience, let me tell you. Yeah, I bet. Well, you're and so, so lucky. I mean does does that really for both of you? I mean, does that have an impact on your work or are you, are you both able to just sort of leave it at the front door I don't when you don't know home?
2: necessarily. No, we we don't leave it at the door. <laughs> I <laughs> was know. hoping you would say that. No, 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 no. in fact, I, I think that's one of the one of the real downsides to a generally positive situation is that neither of us are folks who turn it off quite easily. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um I think the only really real problem professionally has been is like, for example, when she was running inside Michigan politics, I would keep my clients away from her. Right. I mean, because she's you know, she's gonna be fair, but if if one of my guys gets popped on something, she's right. gonna cover it. You know, of course. and I can only think of really maybe one or two examples where like I thought my my candidates were even mentioned in her publication in a manner that was like abusive. In fact, I think one of them was she turned him the front runner mm-hmm. and which was actually the fact. I mm-hmm. think he eventually won. Um, So we do have a problem Um, of, of both of us being, you know, somewhat type A and passionate mm-hmm. and um, really enthusiastic about our work still so we have to kind of build in things I mean, she's an avid hiker um and that's her outlet i have my outlets um we try to coordinate them so that they 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 don't take away from family time because i mean i work from home i mean Mm -hmm. you know i i like that lifestyle Mm -hmm. uh it suits me just fine um she splits time between the house and her office in lansing so she's gone for a period of time you know almost every day but um it uh it's been interesting. There have been pitfalls, but um, I don't think it's anywhere near as as problematic as maybe we expected at the start. Sure. Sure. I mean, what about from your perspective? I mean, you you have to cover all of this madness that yeah. people
0: like Joe and I are trying to gin up all the time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation. Um, you know, obviously, uh, I I knew Joe before we got married, you know, and would, as a reporter, would quote him for things. Um, back in the days when I was with MERS, did not quote him really. When, <laughs> when I ran Inside Michigan Politics, there has to be a wall somewhere. Um, and uh, sure. I don't think you've graced the the screen of the advance. No, point, I have to, not appeared to my in the advance.
2: I haven't appeared in MERS since you left. Um <laughs> Um, I never appeared in Inside Michigan Politics um, after you purchased it. Yeah. So, geez, I'm getting the, I'm getting the crap into the yeah. stick here, aren't yeah, I?
1: Yeah, your, your coverage it's good is going thing. down. It's
2: a good thing I like to live my life rather anonymously. <laughs> you
0: <go. laughs> well, you you do have a sort of catch-22, right, in the sense that, Susan, you're obviously a very good reporter, and that's... From the perspective of a political consultant, that's um, that's the blessing and the curse, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's great if my client's doing good things. Not so yep. <laughs> good if my client is being naughty, um, and and so that's a hard thing to manage. There's also there's going to be a perception, um, rightly, or in this case, it sounds like very wrongly that, you know, somehow you're going to be in the bag for Joe's clients, which. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I wish that were the. Right. That would be be wonderful.
2: Steph one would be
0: appearing in her publication. But for years now, I
2: mean, there's a track record we can point to where that's just simply not the case. Right. You know, and I'm comfortable with it because I don't want a conflict of interest. Right. You know, Um, that that rarely benefits me, to be honest. I mean, you know, as a consultant, I'm sure you handicap reporters mm-hmm. very, in, in many cases, very privately. Um, I don't, uh, my relationships with the press is never heavy handed. You can't, you can't count, I, I can't even come up with an example of me calling up a reporter and raging at them. Yeah. Um, I'm very much a soft sell just because, I mean, if, 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 it, if, if there is weight to what you're trying to push, mm-hmm. that, that's, it should be self-evident. Right. It shouldn't be based on me browbeating you or calling you eight times. Yeah. And so in my interactions with reporters, you know, you know what their predilections are. You know, you know, if, if they're a goalie, you know where the, the five hole is. Right. And she, you know, she was the, the one, one reporter where I could very rarely ever get anything past her. So I had to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> that makes all the sense in the world to me.
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think, frankly, you know, from... Uh, my experience, um, it, you mentioned handicapping reporters, which we obviously all do. And, and that's
2: not even, a, I don't even mean that in a good or bad manner, just what what their predispositions on issues are, what they care about, who they are as people.
0: Right. Well, and also, I think there's an element of who's actually any good. I mean, <laughs> I've certainly had the experience in the past, um, with reference to you, Susan, uh, where, uh, okay, we have to keep this person away from... Susan Demas, and these four other reporters <laughs> because she'll eat them alive. Yeah. Or if she gets a hint of what's going on here, you're screwed. Yeah. Um, so I'd be more worried about that in a situation like yours. Like, man, I can't let something slip here and let the missus figure out what's going on yeah. for my
2: clients. Well, shock, shock, shockingly <laughs> enough, I mean, we we actually I – mean, not, it's not some formal process, but there are there – are, Unwritten rules in place. I mean, she doesn't know everything sure. I'm doing. Right. Of course, you know if someone comes up down the street and starts complaining about something I did in a campaign, there's probably a fifty percent chance she didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's probably another fifty percent chance that she might not even know they're my client. Right. You know, because we live in the world of dark money now. I don't. Sure. You know. Yeah. I, I don't feel the need to to um, parade my activities to the world. I just cash the damn checks.
0: Right. and In some cases, you're being paid not to. So uh, <laughs> yes, yes that, that, that does happen. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: so, um, you know, delving further into the, the political campaigns uh, piece of this, whether it's, you know, hard or soft, it's been our experience uh, at Grassroots Midwest that the tactics around political campaigns and consultants um, are changing pretty fast um, just based on how fast communication technology is changing. I mean, are there what do you think are the biggest sort of tactical changes from your perspective in the consulting and campaigns game over, like, say, the last 10 years?
2: well i think the 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 analytics you have access to i think is is you know a critical difference from 10 years ago um you know i think there's a lot of things uh, a lot of ab testing that you couldn't do mm-hmm. in years past that refines a product yeah um so i think a lot of the modern um advertising uh, cutting edge stuff that has existed in the advertising industry is kind of filtering down to our level now. And with the internet and technology is actually becoming scalable to smaller and mid sized campaigns. Mm-hmm. So I, I think tactically that's something that you have to recognize and constantly improve. I mean, I just did a project um, um, in uh, Chattanooga for the uh, um, vote to unionize the uh, VW plant. In- I've been enjoying
0: that a great deal. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it was,
2: it was the, honestly the most fun i've had in a long long time number one number two um i just spent a lot more time building my game up on the social media purchasing of 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 uh of ads and you know that that's something you have to add to your repertoire because otherwise you're just going to be the, the dinosaur and i we joke all the time i went from being the 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 loudmouth baby face to being a dinosaur within maybe three, four five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went from like the young smart ass to mm-hmm. the, the gray beard. Yeah. And I never saw it coming. Yeah. Um. So you constantly have that that push and pull in your life to, okay, how am I going to improve my skill set? How am I going to diversify the offerings that I can take to people and, and, mm-hmm. and sell as a service? Because I won't take money from you if I don't believe in a service. Like for example, I'm notorious for robocalls. Right. Okay. I rarely do them anymore because the the, the, the efficacy is the, is not there. Right. Exactly. You know. So I'm not going to look a client in the eye and say, okay, I'm going to do this, and and it's not a not a medium that I believe in or a product I believe in. Yeah. And so you're you're constantly trying to hone your craft.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um. So and uh, this is really for both of you. Um. You know, what is. Uh, I guess I'll start with you, Susan. How does the, the changes in sort of political campaigns, communication technology impact you as a reporter in, you know, how you try to cover this sort of thing? I mean, does it make much of a difference or not really?
1: No, it makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, now campaigns don't need the media. I mean, that's just the truth. Um, you know, I mean, it depends on the level and, and everything and your market. But you can do so much by social media ads direct communication um and you know it's a huge tool and a huge advantage um well, it, you
2: you've got actually an interesting perspective though because from the sale of inside michigan politics to the establishment of the advance she worked for dan Farrell for a year yeah as, right. as well as worked worked for me in, in, in on several projects mm-hmm. you know when she was not serving as a journalist yeah. so she has then really kind of not unique perspective, but it certainly is a different one than than a run of the mill reporter at this point.
1: Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot with campaigns, you know, that I didn't know as a reporter. Um, You know, a lot of probably handicapping columns that I wrote, Earlier on in my career that I never want to look at again because, you know, it's totally different for me to just be sitting there and be like, this is what I think and this is how things work. And you don't know. A
2: a reporter and an observer thinks things just happen. They don't know that the immense compromises, the coddling you have to. I mean, (laughs) you know, I I really should have a degree in psychology (laughs) and science, as as I'm sure you would agree. Yeah. Um, You know, you spend your time giving advice. And like, I always tell my clients, I don't make decisions. I make, a, I give, you know, firm opinions mm-hmm. and I will fight you if I think you're wrong, but ultimately you're the decision maker. Right. And, um, I think that serves me well. And I think that's something that she was not exposed to really until, mm-hmm. until she actually earned a check as a consultant for, for a period of time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, you know, and it's, it's a really interesting perspective and, you know, certainly, um, with the speed of things now, um, with technology changing things, um, you know, from campaign cycle to campaign cycle, um, you know, there's, there's so much to catch up on. And so you know, I, I got to see what it was like in 2018. I, I'm sure what you're working on now for 20 um, is, is very different than that cycle even. The The great thing is, as, as being a political columnist for so long and, and being called every name in the book and, and knowing that anybody, even people who work at Cranes, are tarred and feathered as liberals, mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm a progressive columnist. I, you can say I run you a progressive what? publication. You,
2: you do. You do run, this is the point I wanted to make earlier, but I don't want to interrupt you. Sure. You run a progressive publication. There's no. There's no question about it. But the the content is not biased. Where the progressive bent comes out, I think, is in the selection of stories that you guys cover.
1: Yeah, uh, not not a whole lot of you know this person committed welfare fraud and therefore the entire system's corrupt and we should end it. Yeah, um, you know, uh, you're
2: not selling clickbait.
1: No. Um, and I, frankly i try very hard not to do clickbait headlines which is very easy to do i'm mm-hmm. very aware of seo and you know have have done a lot of work in that but i'm i'm not into tricking you to to click and you know i've i've seen even really you know down the middle establishment publications go that way and I think it's unfortunate but Ray's got to earn a living I get it but yeah I you know I I think perhaps if I had gone back and, and worked for the Associated Press it may be more of an issue that you know mm-hmm. I'd worked as a consultant although I think there's a lot more overlap than there used to be mm-hmm. but now it it literally has never come up with anybody Republican or Democrat
0: yeah Well, and I I, you do make a good point uh, about the Michigan advance, Joe, in that uh, and this is this is something that I've told my some of my Republican friends. If you want to get an understanding of a sort of progressive perspective on the news in terms of what's important. It's a great publication to read because they're going to give you straight news and they to report the facts, but you're, they're going to report on things that are important to progressives. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be able to get into that mindset, mm-hmm. it's a good sort of entree for somebody who doesn't come from that perspective. Um, and I think that that's important. I want to return to something that you said about the role of the media in modern campaigns, because I think that's a key part of how the communication tactics are changing. And the 2016 presidential election was a great example of this, right? Other than attacking them occasionally when he didn't like what they had to say, you know, President Trump and his campaign essentially just tried to bypass the media Mm -hmm. Um, that had the virtue of, you know, if you're not interacting directly with a reporter, it matters less if what you say is true because there's not someone right in front of your face to call you on your bullshit. And so that I mean, that's helpful from a certain perspective but i wonder if uh, do you expect to see that sort of thing increase where campaigns are just going to try and cut the media out of this as much as they can
1: yeah i mean i think like well, john we James... had this
2: conversation yesterday
1: yeah but... i think john james's campaign is probably going to be the same as it was in 2018 you know Uh do a lot of, of fox news so the president sees them. um you know <laughs> And, and he can get those national donations, um, talk to some friendly media that Stu Sandler picks out, and, you know, call mm-hmm. it good. Um, you know, do lots of, you know, videos of him in a flight suit and see if it works again. Um, well, great last time. You know, everybody keeps telling me it was really close, so, you Yeah, know. somehow
2: he never had a glove laid on him. <laughs> There can but he's a ne- superstar
1: there yeah. can be negatives I mean I think you know in 2014 when Terry Lynn land ran against Gary Peters she avoided the media which was a real change because with her Secretary of State campaigns she was extremely accessible mm-hmm. um and I think that did hurt her But but you know, know how,
2: most campaigns designed to in one way or another bypass the media Because yeah. the conversation that we had yesterday was if there was a if there if we had a national uh, I mean if we had stronger, more vibrant journalism in this country, you'd have a lot less need for campaigns because people would be out there telling the story straight. Mm-hmm. But we bypass the media to tell the story our way. So I always see your the trend you just described going to increase. Mm-hmm. You know, uh but there's many different ways to skin that cat I mean we had Abdul El Sayad who wouldn't talk to a local reporter for the first seven or eight months of his campaign. Right. And his strategy was to show my leg off to the uh, the national reporters and then suck them in, use that to parlay in the money, and then, you know, the money dried up. I you know, saw what happened there. Right. But um, I, you're, you're, the trend is absolutely going to continue. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it, to be honest, I, I don't blame... Um, the perspective of campaigns in some ways, because, you know, if if the only stories being told are your campaign infighting and gaffes mm-hmm. and stuff that doesn't really matter, um, you don't really want to talk to the media. And this is more for upper level, you know, federal races, U.S. Senate president. But, you know, that mentality, I think, trickles down. Like Jim Lauer, who wants to challenge Justin Amash, you know, He's not talking to anybody right now. That's what, you know, his consultants are telling him. Um, I think he's waiting for that big Fox News payday um, because he wants to be the guy that Trump endorses. And we'll see. But, you know, the smaller the race you go, the more of a risk there is, as long as there is a media apparatus. But, you know, if you're running for city council and there is no paper and there is no radio station, then, you know, you'll probably be fine um, not answering questions to media outside. And just taking it to voters, um, and one other dimension, I think you're, you're that we saw in 2016 and is only going to explode in 20. It's not just you know the present tweeting. It's all the stuff going on on sites that most people don't go to, 4chan, 8chan, mm-hmm. Reddit. These you know memes that go around that even you know people who are really into politics never see. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't see a lot of the you know. Pizzagate stuff because that's not my world. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are plenty of people who do, and probably our parents on Facebook for all we know. So
0: I think Joe and I probably hang out
2: in some of the um, danker corners of the internet a little d- more d- than d- you d- do. Yeah, well, she, she's a refined lady. <laughs> yeah, she is. Um, <laughs> okay. But I mean, I pick up some of that stuff from from the teenage kids at home. Yeah, that's you know, fair. There's, yeah. There's and starting, I don't have kids. That's They're starting point. to generate a little bit more of that. And I'm starting to, you know, I, I'll have discussions with my son where he'll spot off some some idiotic, mm-hmm. you know, opinion. I said, well, is that your opinion or is that YouTube? Right. Defend it. Yeah. You know, and he can't. And he yeah. gets frustrated, thus proving it was the YouTube opinion. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's, that's, it's a really interesting thing to try and untangle. And obviously we're not going to do all of that today. But I think that... um you know, there there are a bunch of different forces that are pushing that in that direction, right? And there's the natural tendency of campaigns to want to manage the news, manage information. Mm-hmm. There is... You know, especially, as you mentioned, Susan, at the some of the lower levels of government, there's just the disappearance of these media outlets or their contraction where there's not somebody that reports on city council and local politics full time. It's it's a sort of sidelight.
2: But look, um, look at the situation we got somewhere, you know, like, for example, MLive. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got one, one reporter between Saginaw and Bay City. mm mm-hmm. How does that work? Right.
1: I worked for the Saginaw News like, yeah, tw-
2: there like 12
1: years ago, 14 15 years ago. 15 people
2: in that newsroom at the
1: time? Um, just on the news side, we had 10 reporters plus editors, then a whole sports section editorial. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a newsroom. Yeah. And now people have to do everything.
2: Well, and, and that only plays to the benefit of politicians. I mean, you know, God bless Jim Barsher. He's a friend, but he's got to love an environment where there's, <laughs> there's no scrutiny. Right. You know, not that he's doing anything wrong. It's just no one's asking any questions. It's great. Right. right. Well, and those sort of twin
0: forces, coupled with um, the
2: explosion of different online
0: communication platforms across video, text, all that sort of thing, th- makes it possible to create this information or lack thereof ecology that Mm -hmm. serves your purposes whether you're a candidate or a political movement or a a racist militia or whatever it might be you can create this ecology that may or may not be based on facts and if that's all people want to interact with that's all they're getting
2: exactly you know um so but most campaigns of scale are, are are going to soon be able to have more reach than some of these media outlets
0: Oh I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I don't know of very many media outlets in the country that have billion dollar communication budgets. You know, they they just mm. don't. Um but there are there are political campaigns at the presidential level that have those and certainly at the US Senate level, you know, we're getting into the hundreds of millions of dollars right. range. Um so creating that sort of separate ecology of information or disinformation and frankly is
2: something I'm looking at on our side. Oh, absolutely. I, I, can say, I think it's something that's necessary. I mean, look, I, we can discuss the morality of it all day long. Fine. We, we, that's a separate conversation. Absolutely. But there's absolutely a need for it. Absolutely. And it's, um, you know. The... It, it can't, it, the, 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 where I'm coming from on this subject, it can't be hyperbole. You know right. what I mean? It, it, because left leaning people aren't going to buy into that. Right. Um, so I, I think it does need to be more combative than regular media, mm-hmm. but I also think it can't be you know clickbait crap. Yeah, so th- I that's agree with that's that. That's something that we you know I need to, need to flush out and work on later on down the road. But there's absolutely a ecology that we need to build on our side that, in my opinion, would be more responsible than what we see on the other side. But there absolutely is a market need for it, especially you know I'll I'll, I'll, I'll be very honest in Michigan we absolutely need it. yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um certainly from the perspective of Democrats and and progressives the that's something that we've been bad at is that sort of that sort of combativeness <laughs>
2: that you mentioned um in the dissemination well, we of information. I mean, we have tea parties.
1: Not not the Not
0: the, not the tea party. party. There
2: was a wordplay that I was working on that just got blown up. Like, Apologies. Thank you. We do it with Earl Grey, they do it with Napalm.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's something to that. We're um Democrats are real good at navel-gazing. It's really one of our specialties. Um, so, are there any tactics? Uh, you mentioned the robocalls. Are there yeah. any other tactics you think are are dead or dying, just losing their effectiveness
2: completely? You know, 10 years ago, I used to make money hand over fist with robocalls. Yeah. And they would be, like, you know, very extremely accurate. Mm-hmm. And now they're not worth the time. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I won't do them unless it's an absolute order. Mm-hmm. At this point, because it's just a waste of my time, it's a waste of your money, mm-hmm. Um, and unless I'm absolutely directed to do it, mm-hmm. I won't. See, and that that's interesting. We um we still occasionally use those robo polls
0: when we're not for public distribution, like mm-hmm. we're trying to convince people that a race is going a certain way. Mm-hmm. We use them specifically to ID, for lack of a better term, old people because well, that's that, still that, has the land lands. But that's an ID program, right? right. Which exactly. is reality. Right. Yes,
2: yeah. that's not gauging public opinion.
0: Right, yeah, I'm not going to take those and take them to the media and say, "Hey, yeah. this is what's going on in the yeah. race. I'm going to tell you that, you know, Maggie Smith who lives at 1234 Main Street really hates our candidate's
2: guts." Mm-hmm. Um so, so that's a much different application than, than than it was originally intended.
0: Sure, absolutely. I mean, anything else that you can think of that just it's it's just dying off. I mean, the thing that always worries me, and it still seems to be pretty effective from our perspective, is the mail. Right? I mean, that's been bread and butter for political well, consultants forever.
2: I think now it it has to be it has to be much more layered with other other mediums. Yeah, it's not so much I I, I see mediums dying. I see the mix changing. That's a good point. Yeah, it's like mixing a cocktail, right? right. Yeah. That makes sense. And and by the way, there's no cookie cutter mix. Each each race is different. Right. Each situation is different. Yeah, and if you
0: go buy a mix off the shelf, it's going to be disgusting, and no one's going to like. Like you got to mix <laughs> your own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so you both obviously consume a lot of political news. Um, other than Michigan Advance,
2: obviously, I'm sure you read that daily as well, Joe. Um, not as much as you think. <laughs> <laughs> really, much of it is policy oriented, and that's not my bailiwick. That's fair. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I I, I will eventually get the most stories Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, there there are some things that just so what do you what do you read pretty religiously in terms
0: of consuming your political news um
2: you know i like uh i've been reading political wire since the late 90s yeah when i was working at the house um Mm -hmm. i i like i I think he's pretty uh, tegan goddard is pretty even-handed So that's kind of like a a go to. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't say that there's anyone I particularly. My my Twitter feed is curated to the point where everything (laughs) that I want to see, I basically see. Mm -hmm. Um, So most of my, you know, even if I've stepped back a little bit on my social media presence just because it was just getting to be too much. And, you know, this is somewhat of a downtime. So I wanted to conserve my mental energy. Fair. But, um, you know, most of my stuff comes from people I've. Just curated over the past decade on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that's not a, you know an insightful answer, but that's the truthful answer. No, and I mean I I read Political Wire pretty uh, religiously myself. Yeah. So uh,
0: well, what about you? I mean, are there are there sources out there that you make a point of going back to over and over again?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think in terms of daily news, it, it's hard to beat the Washington Post. Yeah. I think they they do an amazing job, um, and you know if if we could have them cloned in every state house that would be amazing Mm -hmm. um you know i love the writing in the atlantic the new yorker um you know those are are two of my go-to's especially for long form writing yeah um and you know i i do like political wire because they give you a a good mix of things and political magazine um does some great writing too
0: yeah, I'm I have a love-hate relationship with Politico. Uh, yeah. by which I mean I read it literally every day. Yeah. Um and sometimes the stories or the way that they choose to cover them and in, um infuriates me, but there's always enough good information and enough good reporting that I keep coming back every day anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean you 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 can't be in politics without reading Politico. I I'm not a fan of that genre in general where Agreed. it's just insider stuff and Um, you know, policy is an afterthought and, you know, a lot of stuff is just based on your, your sources and, and their bitching, which, Mm -hmm. you know, look, I did a lot of that when I worked for MERS, you know, that's your bread and butter. You're an insider publication and there's a need for it. And I get it. Um, but the, the magazine has some really good looks Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a fan. And and, Zach Stanton's a Michigan native. So, you know, Zach's very good. He could
2: be a high school graduate. <laughs> there you go. both went, I, I i tell Zach this all the time i remember when he was born because his dad yeah his dad, his dad owned the local newspaper and oh, he ran a geez, weekly I column that yeah he ran a weekly column and I think i'm about 13 14 years older than Zach so like i would i was an avid media hound as a child so sure. you know I would sit there with my my my, my a bay voice every week and we read, read uh mr stanton's column about his his boy on the or boy and his brothers and yeah so it's kind of it's, it's a small world we live in that we both went to the same damn high school
1: hmm.
2: um so one of our goals on um
0: on ticket splitters is to give people an inside look at how politics and government works and at the professionals who work in and around michigan government um we especially like to focus on um Share with younger folks that are just sort of starting to make a career or would like to make a career uh, in this environment, how they break into the bubble. Um, so, Susan, I'll start with you. What sort of advice do you have for somebody who's just starting out who wants to get into political journalism?
1: Well, run. run. <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't expect to get rich yes
1: um i so my daughter is going to be a senior in high school and she had to apply to get into the um journalism class and i i was almost hoping that she didn't but um she's <laughs> she's a very good writer so she did get in um but both of us i think have have really tried to discourage our kids from getting into journalism because um who knows what it's going to look like. I well, mean, you're just
2: going to end up in PR anyways. So well, the you may as well
1: just go there and make money, um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Fair. But, you know, I, I, I think we're seeing so many jobs being shed right now. Mm-hmm. We're not even in recession. Um, mm-hmm. So that's terrifying. Um, I think a lot of people underestimate the impact of artificial intelligence. I mean, sports reporting... You you can kick out those stories in cool. two I, minutes. I can play a
2: game of Madden, and in two seconds later, I'm reading a, a, a AI version of that's as good as anything you'll see, you know, right. in, in in a newspaper and of can, what happened in this fictitious game. You
1: can do that with reporting on bills that passed. You can do that with reporting on elections in a heartbeat. So I think you need to factor that in. But you know, at the same time. Um, now that we've gotten the, you know, negatives out of the way, there's obviously an immense need for it. So, um, and there are so many great stories that you can tell, so, you know, The the traditional route that people go is you go through J school and you get a bunch of internships and many of them are unpaid, which means right off the bat, um, it would be nice if your family has money, um, which is extraordinarily unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's not the route that I went. Um, and I would just say that one of the best things you can do is read a bunch of people who are very talented and are doing good work and the kind of work that you want to do, um, Making connections is important. We have one of our stringers is an MSU student, and he's great. And, you know, I would take a million more like him because, you know, I think you have to get people a shot and you Mm -hmm. have to pay them for their time, which is what we do. You know, I don't work for free. You don't work for free. And it's insane to ask college kids or recent college grads to do that, too. Yeah. So, you know, try and find people who are willing to make the investment in you, willing to help. And it's probably more people than you think. And, you know, go outside the world of journalism, too, into whatever. If you want to cover politics, there are people within the political world. A lot of people have a journalism background and certainly no journalists, so they can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you can't be shy about things because it's a, a really competitive field, despite all of its negatives. Yeah. But I'm I've I've tried to help as many people as I can. And, you know, I'm always willing to sit down with people.
0: Yeah. I um, so I want to follow up on that a little bit, particularly because you did start this new publication, um, you know, uh, relatively recently. I mean, it was less than a year ago. What do you think about sort of addressing one of the needs we've talked about in terms of, you know, local reporting around politics, things like that? I mean, do you think that there are opportunities for folks, you know, sort of younger journalists who have sort of gotten their feet under them a little bit to sort of take an entrepreneurial approach and and try and monetize that reporting on not just local government, but local stories? Um, I mean, do you, do you think that that business model potentially works?
1: It's a tough business model. My publication is nonprofit and we have the advantage of being part of a consortium with 10 soon to be many more publications across other states. So that's a gift. And I'm fortunate Um, I ran a for profit newsletter, which worked fine. Um, It's just, you know, uh, part of that was selling subscriptions. And Mm -hmm. so you got to figure out how do you make money and making money through clicks is hard. I think probably a subscription model adds, you know, that's the way that you'd have to do it. And then would, you have to be the kind of person that doesn't just want to do journalism. You you have to be a business person, Yeah. Um, which, you know, is certainly a skill set a lot of people have. But frankly, most people who get into my business don't go into it for that reason.
2: Yeah. You know, one of the things I would look at is I don't know if it necessarily the entrepreneurial part works on a local level mm-hmm. i think a patreon model based on a topic yeah. that makes or, sense. or or an industry mm-hmm. that could work
1: yeah you know that's where a good you, point. Where you reach
2: yeah. cuz if you if you get 5000 people to give you 2 or 3 dollars a month that's not a bad nest egg over you know a, a country of 330 million people yeah. if i find 5000 energy executives or you know whatever the subject is that's where i think that model can work
0: that makes some sense. And that's actually, well, so for any uh, unter, enterprising young journalists out there who are looking to strike out on their own, um, maybe call Joe and Susan and uh, pick their brains <laughs> a little bit about well, uh, that's the how to extent, do that. No,
2: that's the extent of my thought on this. So, <laughs> so, so, if you want to give me a call, feel free. Don't expect much more without
0: a check. <laughs> that's very fair. Um, so what about for you, Joe? I mean, what do you? What, what sort of advice would you give to a young person who wants to be a con- political consultant? Maybe not right away, but, you know, in the in the Relatively oh. near future
2: well I mean I can only tell you my own experience sure. and I, I remember um you know coming up in the early 1990s we all thought we were James Carville yeah. all of us yeah <laughs> and uh you know I I early in my life I my professional life I fashioned myself as, as a you know a discount Carville
0: I like you way barry, better than Mary Madeline by the way so we're just gonna, <laughs> yeah, I did we're gonna much get that better. out of the way right now Susan yeah.
2: <laughs> She may not have did better, but anyways, <laughs> the, the point being is, I remember sitting on my girlfriend at the time her her front port front yard uh, on her porch, and you know, I was like twenty one or twenty two, and the subject came up. Well, what do you want to do? You know, I'm gonna be a political political consultant, and she very rightly said, we well, you have no experience," mm-hmm. and that pissed me off. She was right, yeah, but it pissed me off, <laughs> and for a long time, I used that as my motivation. So my advice to folks is be indispensable. Yeah, be be the person that. Everyone can rely on. Mm -hmm. Um, Your word is your bond. Yeah. You know, be all you have. And I mean, you know, um, I don't have any power but coercion. Sure. You know, I have logic. Mm-hmm. i have whatever experience i have to, to pre- present an argument to someone but for someone starting out i think they need to have the courage of their own convictions mm-hmm. they got to realize that this is a tough ugly life i mean like you know my my 20s were spent driving in a car all across the state working for the state house mm-hmm. you know that's not that's not easy work and i was lucky enough to draw the harder races mm-hmm. so i was able to develop a toolkit over that, that seven or eight years that has served me well to this day. And now in my career, I'm trying to find ways to, you know, expand that toolkit and, and, and sharpen the tools within it. And, and so my point is don't take no for an answer, be relentless, Mm -hmm. be be the person people can count on Yeah. and shut up, (laughs) learn to keep a secret. Yeah, you can have a big elf like me, but there's a lot of stuff I don't talk about. Exactly well, right. Thank
1: God, social media wasn't around.
2: Oh yes, I would. I would have not. We wouldn't have made it. No, I would have been done. I would have. I would have done some social media faux pas, even worse than things I've done now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Same. And, and career would have been done. Yeah, no question. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I, the thing about keeping your mouth shut is absolutely right, but um, the reliability thing, more than anything mm-hmm. else, yeah. is. When you tell somebody you're going to do something, mm-hmm. you do it. Right. Um, you know, when you work on a campaign or you work for a member or you work for a consulting firm, um, you want to be the person that people know they can rely
2: on. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, ultimately, this is a results business. Yeah. And the people who don't get the results don't stay in the business. That's right. I that was one of the things I've always appreciated about working in politics, working in elections,
0: whether it's for a candidate or an institution, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is I know exactly how I did. Because on election day, we keep score. Yeah. And ultimately, it's just the, you either have the greater than symbol pointing the right way
2: or you don't. Well, I, a great example is this... Um this uh, Chattanooga um, unionization thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was an election that took place over three days. Mm-hmm. And I had no no contact with the UAW, so I was getting information from secondhand, thirdhand sources. Mm-hmm. We ended up losing by something like 58 votes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely gutted me. In fact, yeah. she, she was the one that told me because I was downstairs trying to, I was on the Xbox trying not to look at my Twitter. Right. And not look at my email. And she, co- she I see her at the top of the stairs and she, she looks down at me and she says, I'm sorry. Mm. And I'm like, But what because she had she had the inside scope 10-15 minutes before everyone else did and that was very devastating Mm -hmm. and the next day or two days later i got a text from someone that was involved and said i'm sorry we lost you did a good job Mm -hmm. now how do i respond to that because i feel like i did do a good job but i don't it doesn't matter yeah it, it just it just doesn't matter You know, so whatever personal satisfaction I had flushed right down the toilet. And I appreciated that person's point of view. Of course. But the results were not there. Yeah. And, you know, there is a lot of mitigating factors there. But ultimately, I'm not shouldering the the, the blame for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also not, you know, celebrating either because it was a loss.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: There are no good efforts. Yeah, a, a nice I mean, you, it, you, it is completely results oriented.
0: Right. Yeah. Second place is losing. And I hate losing. <laughs> <laughs> second place is first loser. Right. Yeah. Um, so one other thing that you both sort of um, touched on a little bit. And so there's there's three entrepreneurs sitting in the uh, the humble grassroots Midwest studio. Um, I think whether it's journalism or it's political consulting, One of the things that seems to be really missing, both in the folks that we have all interacted with, I'm sure, and from my own experience as an entrepreneur, is I'd never taken a business class in my life, Mm -hmm. Um, and I will admit to having some regrets, Um, and I think that for anybody who even thinks that at some point I would like to own my own thing, whether it's a consultancy or, you know, um, a publication, I... I think those sort of skills are essential, and I think it's really easy, especially as young people, to get sort of slotted into, well, I want to go into political consulting, so I'm going to go get a political science degree, and I'm going to go get an internship at the House of Representatives, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Okay, it's time to start your consulting firm, write a business plan. (laughs) A what?
2: A what? my, My original business plan was, I'll take whatever comes across the transom.
0: And I mean, I wrote a long business plan, but that was exactly but, what it was. But,
2: but your business was, you knew you were doing this, you know, at a certain point. Yeah. This is where you were headed. Yeah. You know, um, I think actually we, we may have had similar pushes into the business. I knew I was going to do it. I didn't realize I was going to do it when I did it. You knew it. i do it on your own timetable, right? Right.
0: I just sort of got... Pushed off a cliff and grew some wings on my way down. That's
2: my story, man. I had yeah. a, a pregnant wife and a new mortgage. Yeah, there was absolutely. no failure involved. Right, there was, exactly. It was not a possibility. It Better was, work. It was literally. Um, and, and you know, this is actually. I know we've talked about this privately. I'm, I think I'm one of the few people that actually have a tangible benefit from the Kwame Kilpatrick years, because Same. he was a, he was the Democratic leader yeah. of the of the House. He allowed us to freelance, yeah. which allowed me to have a. Soft base when the next leader came in and swept us out. Yeah. You know, so I was able to have more than my work portfolio. Right. Um, and, and so I was able to parlay that into, into a business rather quickly. And I'll say this minus some of the more high end electronic things you need to do, political consulting often isn't, you know, at the beginning level, very overhead intensive. You yeah. know, I mean, do a radio ad on my laptop. You know, it's it's an amazing thing nowadays. Yeah, the
0: lovely grassroots Midwest studios cost us $250 to build. Right,
2: (laughs) right, exactly. And, you know, if you're willing to be an entrepreneur, have a certain seat-of-the-pants kind of mentality, Mm -hmm. um, I think it can be lucrative and satisfying. Yeah, uh, it also wears you down. I mean, sure. you know, I, I'm I'm reaching a point now where it's like, uh, in in ten years, I would not mind just subcontracting from people and not being the point man because this this you know as well as I do, you mm-hmm. probably know better than I do how this just beats you down and mm-hmm. and winning and losing it. And it, I, I had this conversation with a young guy who wanted to go into this line of business, and I said, once you take that check from someone mm-hmm. on an election night. Um, you're never going to have an election night that's pure ever again. (laughs) Right. Because what will happen is inevitably, you know, every election cycle I carry anywhere from four to 14 races. Mm -hmm. Okay. Only once in my career has everything I ever touched in one election cycle come up good. Yeah. So no matter how high you are and excited and thrilled about the good job you have, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of other people who paid you good money Mm -hmm. and it didn't work. I remember that feeling very well.
0: Yeah. The, um, we flipped three house seats in 2014. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had reporters from a couple different publications calling and asking me if I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. And I had to screw up my game face to go do that. All I was thinking about was, you know, we had, I think we were carrying 11 clients that year mm-hmm. and two of them lost. And that was all I was thinking about yeah. is, man, what could we have done differently <laughs> to get those two across the finish line? Because they, they paid us good money just like the nine that won.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And, and those two haunt you. Yeah. That's you know, right. I mean this 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 Chattanooga thing haunts me. I mean, you know, in particular the fact I, I hate to keep on going back to it, but it's been the most recent in, thing of sure. interest. Yeah. You know, and this was actually an interesting wrinkle in that you know the NLRB had a date, mm-hmm. suspended the date, mm-hmm. then pushed it forward three weeks, mm-hmm. and so it was, it was it was it was a learning process for me because I constantly had to be reassessing what resources I had. Mm-hmm. And not knowing if more money was coming or where it was coming from and what amounts sure you know you could I very well could have been done two weeks before election day just by virtue of not marshaling resources. So so when you lose you learn more. yeah. Um, and when you learn when, when you become a professional and take check for this, you should feel really shitty when someone loses. <laughs> yeah because you took their money. yeah, absolutely. that's that's the way I operate.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean what what about from your perspective in terms of you know the business end of journalism I mean is you th- do you think that that's something that young people should make an effort to learn about before they get into journalism or is it something you can pick up on the way? i mean I don't know if you had any sort of experience with that before you bought inside Michigan politics or before starting the advance
1: yeah you know, never took a business class um, I had a little more experience than your average journalist because I had a, a really um pretty busy freelance business on the Mm -hmm. side. So, you know, I had to get used to filing different taxes and invoicing and marketing myself. So that was helpful, but you know, it wasn't a full preparation. Mm -hmm. And I would say in this, in, in this environment, um, the, the days of anybody, Doing a job for fifty years is done. yeah in in whatever industry you're in. Absolutely. So the more varied your skill set is, um, the better. Yeah. So if you have any aspirations to be an editor, be a manager, own your own thing. Or if you think, you know, maybe I do want to get into something else eventually, mm-hmm. probably, you know, having a little more of a business background could be useful for everyone. I know it would have
2: been helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would have, you know, I ran into a little bit of underpaying taxes one time. Same. And, you know, you do that once, you don't do it again. Correct. But I would have liked to have, you know, not done it the first time. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I would have benefited immeasurably from some type of business background I mean my father owned a small business but I was never privy to anything other than the pouring of the concrete right you know yeah he wasn't he didn't
0: have you paying invoices no doing taxes no 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 no, none of that yeah Um, So shifting gears a little bit, um, since we've uh, we've got a pretty fair amount of political expertise in the booth today, um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit just about sort of handicapping hearing predictions um, about the 2020 election cycle. I mean, for various reasons, we've all kind of got a front row seat to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, sort of starting with you, Susan, um, let's let's talk about the presidential. I mean, President Trump's numbers look terrible in Michigan right Mm -hmm. now. Is, Is there a path for him to win Michigan? And if there is, what do you think it is?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I mean, I think, you know, if, if we want to have a sober assessment, his numbers have never been good in Michigan, right? And he won. You
2: literally True. just left my right mind <laughs> Yeah.
1: So, you know, I mean, sure, he won by 10,704 votes, but, you know, he... But
2: could, who's coming? You
1: know, <laughs> you know um, I I think he obviously he has a strong base, but we don't know what this campaign is going to look like. None of us know who he's running against. Um I think you can be prepared that whoever it is, is just going to take body blow after body blow. Um, and yeah. uh, I don't know that the Democratic numbers are going to hold the same way. I think it's going to be a dogfight and I, not just in Michigan and the upper Midwest. I think it's going to be a dogfight for you know, a real problem, Arizona,
2: Georgia what hey wisconsin's the real problem in the wisconsin Midwest.
1: i agree i think it's a different environment there but you know i mean even the states that uh hillary clinton won um new hampshire is always a fight you know mm-hmm. there are no guarantees um no guarantees that coalition is going to hold i mean before but um, well, we 2000... don't know
2: what the coalition is because right. we don't know who our candidate is. Right,
1: And and yeah. different candidates, I think, are going to have vastly different coalitions. I, I had That's a
2: conversation right. with a reporter from U.S. News & World Report last week, and I told her of the 22 yeah. candidates, I could only see paths of no victory for maybe five or six. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this thing is as fluid as it's ever been. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the, the rise of Elizabeth Warren has, has been frankly interesting to watch mm-hmm. um admit, i, I, I kind of saw it coming mm-hmm. i don't i think a lot of people did i mean mm-hmm. that's that's uh but you want to be the third or fourth person in this race mm-hmm. you know because you're going to hit that killing field yeah yeah and you want to you kamala harris peaking in in november or december that's where you want to be you don't want to be number one now yeah yeah
1: um, yeah you know, and we haven't even even had debates yet I don't know if the, they'll have aired at the time this does or not
0: but probably yeah <laughs> um and uh yeah so uh, well you you all will have uh seen how those shook out that's uh, how many of how many of them are there now is 20, 22, 23 well, Joe I think,
1: got in. I think, oh God that's right I think we're technically at about 25 yeah,
0: right.
1: and most of them are going to be on the debate stage which is kind of ridiculous
0: mm-hmm Yeah. Um, Well, so stay tuned about that. I I in general agree with that. I mean, I think that the depending on who the Democratic nominee is, they'll probably be the favorite in Michigan. But Hillary Clinton was the favorite in Michigan last time, Um, at least from the perspective of one old crusty Democrat. I hope whoever the nominee is doesn't run as incompetent a campaign in Michigan as Hillary Clinton did, um, because because that seems like it would be bad.
2: Um, (laughs) Is is Gary Peters in any danger? I think people desperately want to make it seem as if he is. Um, you know, this, this uh, myth of John James is is like like Paul Bunyan or something, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a folk tale. The, the, the guy has had a, a, a nice resume and has faced enemy fire in Afghanistan. I respect that. But Debbie Stabenow didn't lay a glove on him last time. He is virgin territory to kick the shit out of. Yeah. You
1: know, I think... The fact that Trump won in 16 um, makes it a more interesting race than it would have been. Um, I think one of the advantages of Gary Peters is he never takes anything for granted.
2: Mm-hmm. He's a lot
1: tougher than people think he is because he looks like an investment banker and talks like one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he also is a naval a... officer. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, he was the last guy standing in 2010 when no other Democrat was. So he does know how to fight. Um, he's not afraid to throw a punch. Um, but, you know, he's a freshman senator in a state that's well, not a gimme.
2: Go back yeah. to 2010. The, con- the prevailing conventional wisdom was that Mark Schauer would win and mm-hmm. Peters would lose. Yeah. And then he would
0: It's a fair point. I, I do think you're right. Gary's a lot tougher, both as a campaigner and just as an individual, than a lot of people give him credit for. And some of that is his demeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you brought up the military background thing. I mean, that's... You know, that was one of the things that the James campaign really emphasized, um, you know, uh, last year um, when he was running against Stabenow. And I do think that Gary's background neutralizes that a little bit. I mean, not only does he have the naval background, but he signed back up after nine right. yeah. eleven. Um
2: That That's real. That's, yeah. that's real stuff. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's particularly well known either. No, I yeah, agree. I,
1: I have talked with people in the press corps who have no idea. And right. they, they've been covering politics for a while.
2: Right. I You know, I, I, I had lunch with uh, Matt Danaskis maybe about six weeks ago he, mm-hmm. he ran against gary ran against him in was 1990 oh, and danaska's wow. barely beat you know it was yeah. a tight race and danaska's has high respect for peters yeah um, and he's known him he's been a, com- a combatant with peters for a lot longer than anyone else that hmm. well, makes sense um yeah th- th- that makes sense to me um
0: do, you, do either of you see any of michigan's congressional seats changing hands between the parties? Upton versus Hoadley, Slotkin versus either uh, Mike Bishop or Tom Barrett, I guess, is looking at moving to Williamston if he hasn't already. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fun year. Um, and- Anybody think that uh, any of these congressional seats change hands between the parties?
1: I think Slotkin is the number one target. That is a hard seat that Democrats are not supposed to hold. Yeah. So you know, like she's, though, she's,
2: she's the best candidate for oh, it. Oh, she too.
1: is. But, you know, um, especially if if Trump's numbers improve, that's going to be a problem for her. Yeah.
2: I, you know, I, I think the, if the Republicans don't have top tier candidates by September 1st, I would start discounting these races. And I'm not sure Tom Barrett necessarily is a top tier candidate. His record is a his record is a shooting gallery that I don't think was properly uh hmm. exposed last time as it perhaps should have been.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: I mean the um you know, Tom Tom got a relatively easy ride through
0: the general election last yeah. time. Um and uh you know that's that's obviously outside
2: that, the constituency. He's largely represented before right. And true. I'm not sure moving to Williamston is all that easy of a sell. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a fair point. He's got a military background. Um, he's very no, so does
2: Alyssa Slotkin. Yeah,
1: I mean, not not in combat, obviously, but you so, know, um, certainly has done three tours. You know,
2: as an intelligence officer, but
1: um, you know, I, I think
2: I've read enough Tom Clancy books in the film <laughs> that those intelligence officers Alyssa face... Slotkin is Jack Ryan. Oh, I, used to... <laughs> I used to tell people all the time, Lon Johnson was CIA. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa's is a little more believable. To, I said I used to. Tell him, he asked me. He has. He finally got pissed off and asked me to stop doing it. <laughs> so sort of Did it on
1: air. Yeah, I don't care.
2: He's a friend. It's fine. Um, but I used to tell people he was Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne. Oh, Ooh, nice.
1: Geez. Now he's got the mustache, so he's incognito.
2: Incognito. Yeah, he's got a stash now. He got a stash. Got a big. Well, I, as of a couple months ago, yeah, he had a, he had a stash. I, I was teasing about it. I said, "So you got a big old womb room on your face there, huh?" Yeah, He didn't quite find it as funny as I did. (laughs) (laughs) Susan, the classy lady, is just trying not to laugh out loud. Yeah, that's good. Um, So, I mean, so
0: we we brought up uh, Tom Barrett as a potential candidate against Alyssa Slotkin. Do you think he's a stronger candidate against her than um, uh, an attempted victory lap by Mike Bishop? Or do you think that that's the Republicans' best shot?
1: I I think that Republicans would do very well in somebody in Livingston County.
0: It does seem to be the base of the seat for Republicans. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, I think you know Mike Bishop turned out to have more of a glass jaw than people thought, so I don't think he'd be my top pick. But I'm not a Republican, um, sure. you know. Who knows? But You there's... should run
2: for open county prosecutor.
1: That that didn't work out so well the first time.
2: I don't think you should run for
1: Congress
0: again. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> um, but you know, there's plenty of talent out in Livingston County. Um, is it top-tier talent? You know, that that's an open question.
0: Sure. Sure. What about you? You think either one of them is uh, is viable against I, her, or you think they need to look elsewhere? Oh,
2: I think I, I think by nature of the district, anyone anyone with a with a pulse and on a million dollars is yeah is yeah. viable. And and millions will have the million more important. The million. I'll take the million before the pulse. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the point the, the point is, I think the nature of that district, the way it is, anyone's a player. Yeah. then the, there is immense value in having that Republican nomination. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I, I I have a tough time seeing barrett pull it off just just a gut level reaction that's Mm -hmm. that's just me i don't there's nothing empirical about it yeah it's just i don't see him reaching down into open county and and selling um selling like he does uh in eaton county Hmm. um i do find the upton race interesting Mm -hmm. i i don't if he runs again i don't think it flips yeah i think if it's open Mm, there could be a chance. I think Holdley, Holdley will run a better campaign than than I think people in that area are particularly used to on mm-hmm. the Democratic side. Um, I wasn't really impressed with the folks who lined up to run against Upton last time. No. Um, I'll be very frank. I, they were fine, I, but... Yeah. They, they, yeah. None, none of them were world beaters. Right. Um, I think Holdley's much better than that. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, And certainly um, a rock star fundraiser. I mean, yeah. He, right. he won't lack for money in nope. the race. Nope, no, nope, I've,
1: nope. I've already seen him in action up in Mackinac.
0: <laughs> no, i mean i I congratulated him two days after he got into the race, and he hit me up very aggressively, politely, but very aggressively for a check, which I did write him,
2: yeah, he didn't got to me yet, but that's okay,
0: yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean well, he just admitted that on air, so I'm sure he'll be calling this week <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: and I'll have a check for him, yeah, uh,
0: of course yeah anyway. but
2: um um i i the amash race i I think that's fool's gold i
0: yeah, it's that's hard to see i mean unless unless someone so far to the right came out of that Republican primary mm-hmm. and you know you got to make a decision before that as a Democrat and that's a bad bet right I mean yes if you get um as a for instance state representative Matt Hall mm-hmm. as the nominee mm-hmm. in that district it's a stretch but maybe it's doable yeah. for a Democrat but, I, I, but even that's due to some of his right problems. yeah no you need to you need you need a punching bag of a Republican yeah in that as the nominee in that district to even have a chance. Um, So yeah, that one, that one strikes me as a stretch. And I mean, I think that's reflected in the fact that, you know, the D trip and a number of other folks have tried to get Winnie Brinks interested in that. And she's mostly laughed at them
2: as well. She should, but you know, this is the time of year where people play what I like to call fantasy politics where every seat's in play. It's fun. And every, every (laughs) candidates, every candidate is possible. Right. You know, and then the, the crushing reality just destroys all hope at some point that's really a metaphor for life isn't it (laughs) but we keep on trudging on because as i said to that young person we were talking to earlier be relentless right don't take no for an answer yeah okay and uh so the michigan house of representatives um house
0: democrats need to get to 56 to take the majority what do we think the what's the over under on the number of seats
2: they have come january of 2021 i think it's I, I need to see some victories in candidate recruitment that I'm not seeing yet.
1: Yeah. I, I, it's totally I, plausible I, that the Democrats lose seats.
2: Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's fractions there. Yeah. There, there. There there, are fights to be had and fights that are coming. And you got to recruit people, and I don't see them okay um yeah I mean that, I think that's going to be an interesting
0: one I don't uh I don't claim to have too much inside knowledge about that I mean they've they've hit some decent recruits in a couple of places it does seem like there are some holes in a couple of places at least as far as I've been able to see maybe they're keeping some cards close to the vest mm-hmm. there are a couple of seats out there that you can think of that they probably should have right now yeah um that they should be competitive in and the 39th jumps to mind immediately um mm-hmm. state representative Ryan Berman had the uh, good fortune to run against uh, be felon. a soon-to-be felon. soon to be felon. <laughs> um, She's a Pre- felon now. <laughs> right. In her pre-felon days. <laughs> Indicted, but not yet convicted. Um, so that seems like one where the Democrats should be able to be competitive, again, right. if they have the right candidate, particularly with the president being on the ballot as well. Um, you know, he's obviously very soft in that part of Oakland County. Right. But there are some places, I mean, particularly in, in your old stomping grounds in Macomb County, where you know you would think that there would be some pickup opportunities for Democrats, but you're going to need really good recruits in some of those seats, and I haven't seen that there.
2: No, because they're screwing around in the Warren Mayor's race. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Watch him get steamrolled. I, you know, no one hates Jim Fouts more than me, but you ain't going to beat him this year. Probably not. And yeah. when you got half the House House Democratic uh, campaign apparatus screwing around in the city of Warren, uh, trying to prop someone up. Um, I think that uh, that's a bill that's uh, not going to be looked at very well. And,
1: you know, to your point about the president being on the ballot, that that's not going to help Republicans in Oakland, but in northern Michigan? Um, Yeah. That and in other areas, you know, even if you look deep into Kildee territory. Oh, sure. um, He I think that he could potentially be a very big boost and Democrats are going to have to play some defense uh, downriver. Sure. Even even with an incumbent. So it's it's a pretty uneven atmosphere. And so there's a lot of potential for some weirdness. I mean, we even it wasn't a uniform result in 2018. Democrats lost a seat mm-hmm. up in the UP. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what's going to happen with Trump on the ballot?
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And that, we lost a seat with a
2: pretty damn good candidate, yeah.
1: too.
0: Yeah, I mean the the president does hurt Republicans in Oakland County and parts of Western Wayne County, you know, the more bedroom communities. North of here,
2: he's god. Yeah, absolutely, he's the god emperor.
0: And it, but yes, and it's um, you know things have been trending that way for a while, but um, you know Donald Trump seems to have seen, sealed the deal for Republicans
2: mm-hmm. up there. Well, I mean, I, I tell Brian Elder all the time, you're when you're ter- when you term out, that's a marginal seat, man.
0: Oh, I agree. I yeah. agree.
2: And I don't um, think people people readily recognize that, though, either. They think it's, you know, good it's old industrial-based city. So, city. That's uh, ours. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh,
0: may, maybe the city. Once yeah, you maybe the, the city. city. Once, you,
2: once you hit those killing grounds of the, the townships. Man, right, yeah, you get out in the to Bangor Township, all of a sudden things start looking a little different. I mean, how many millions of dollars have Democrats dumped in the Bangor Township over the past 25 years? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walt Wendling, 1994. <laughs> <laughs> Full employment for political <laughs> consultants.
0: <laughs> So, uh, last question. Um, we always like to wrap up our ticket splitters podcasts um, with any old war stories from politics, government, the campaign trail that our guests like to share. Could be funny, could be weird. Um, anything that you think is fit for public consumption.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to. Cal- I'm
0: looking at you right now, Joe. I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm
2: calculating statutes of limitations here. Oh, yeah, you know, I, got, I got a story. I told the other day that I hadn't, I haven't told in a number of years. This is back in um, 1994. And um this was when uh, former Senator Steve Beto was running for the House for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the Democratic, uh, he was a creature of the Lansing Democrats who were worried about Chuck Bussey, mm-hmm. who had run in the earlier special election a few years earlier after, um, after the death of a member. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a special election. Chuck lost and Chuck had numerous... He eventually had two federal trials and I think was just released from federal prison. So yeah. the concerns were not exactly unfounded. So anyway, Steve was running with the blessing of the the House Democrats um, trying to block Bussy And so on the Republican side, there was a guy named Mike Wiecek, who was a former Detroit police officer and confidential informant of the FBI. Mm. Um, and he was in the press complaining about stealing lo- his lawn signs disappearing, and he put a bounty on the lawn signs. <laughs> so, me being 21, 22 years old at the time, I think 21, um, I uh, grabbed one of the interns, and we, we took a whole precinct and cleaned it out of Mike WeChat's lawn signs. Uh-huh. And so, then we took him over to Chuck Bussey's campaign office and dumped him in his dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, this is... <laughs> This is not that. That's not really the amusing part. The, the punchline is I end up being the punchline, because what happens is I go to a payphone. Remember those? Oh yeah. And I call Mike at home and I said, "Hey, I see a bunch of your lawn signs in Bussy's dumpster." <laughs> and so I go park across the street with this kid. And we wait for, we check to show up with the lawn sign. The wake, we see him pull up mm-hmm. and we see him take off. So if you're, okay, mission accomplished. Let's, let's go get something to eat. Right. <laughs> Little do we know he noticed us. Oh boy. With a, with his van blocks me in <laughs> to my parking spot. <laughs> so I have a decision to make. Right. Do I have an altercation? Mm-hmm. Do I take off? Right. I took off. I blew over the median on uh 12 Mile Road, hustled <laughs> my way to I-75, went, went almost all the way to the Ambassador Bridge before deciding, deciding okay, the heat's off, I can run right. back. So, so that's my funny, that, that, that's my funny story. No laws were well, no one's going to arrest me for taking a law sign a quarter century afterwards. You're Not right, yeah. I feel no, we're safe now. <laughs> And you know what, Mike Weechek's a crook, so screw him. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, You have any
0: fun stories from uh, covering politics that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Well, mine are not nearly as good as Joe's. Joe has. And, and and you know, when, when the tape recorder goes off, um, he has even better ones than that. I bet. Um, but, you know, I, so I've been doing this. Um, I actually started out in Iowa, went to the University of Iowa. And my first job was at the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And so, you know, every four years, the circus comes into town with caucuses. So you know, if you're interested in political journalism, it's a great place to be. And, you know, when I came up, um, I actually started on September 12th, 2001. Oh. Um, so it was a real interesting time to, to start your official career. But, you know, that was back in the days when you had to put in 20 years before they would let you be the political reporter. But, you know, in Iowa, there was just so much going on that, you know, OK, Howard deans here? But, you know, so is John Kerry. This is 2004. So, you know, eventually you might get to cover something if you're super eager and you'll work weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time I had a kid who was uh, very little, let's see, the 2004 cycle, she would not even be two. So, Mm -hmm. you know, year and a half and I'm trying to juggle all this. And so, you know, at some campaign events, I got to bring my baby, which actually turns out to not be the worst thing because politicians love babies mm-hmm. so you know allegedly
2: yeah
1: I, I had dennis kucinich make like duck noises at, at <laughs> my kid and would actually answer the question. That was so, a question so yeah well probably <laughs> it kucinich.
2: Little, yeah, I little squeaks
1: yeah so you know I, I i gotta say it was an interesting time to come up because it was before the 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 bottom fell out and everybody got fired And you really had to, like, fight your way into covering the stuff that you wanted. And, you know, at the same time, you know, I I was doing this with a a, a kid. But, you know, it creates some good stories. And, uh, you know, I'm not in any of the photos, but my ex-husband has a couple really nice photos with the kid. And, uh, you know, with a couple candidates. So, you know, there, there are some fun parts of the job. And at this point, probably both our kids have seen... More potential leaders of the free world than they can count. So it's, it's not a bad life. Anybody Just
0: get the John Edwards picture from two
2: thousand
1: five? I've got one.
0: Oh yeah, I've I Okay, good. One.
2: <laughs> yep. I had a candidate with an OJ picture. Really? Yes. Nice. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> it was uh, Marine Keen Doran. Her. Yeah. She. Her husband was the basically the landlord for all of Ford Motor Company's holdings across the world. Mm-hmm. She was the former girlfriend of Mayor Hubbard, mm-hmm. who notoriously was the mayor of Dearborn and notoriously Ah. had some, shall we say, rather regressive points of view on race relations that Mm. involved the National Guard. Very diplomatic of you. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyways, long story short, she was a flight attendant. Oh. And she had a picture with O.J. And this was in 1998. Mm. (laughs) And I I said to her, I'm going to take this photo. Mm -hmm. And I will give it back to you in November. Mm -hmm. Now, she was off her rocker. Um, because literally it was the only time in my life I've ever had to schedule canvases with a two hour lead up where the candidate has to have her makeup applied Uh, and and like I would have to sit there during this nonsense and eventually uh, our relationship part ways she got her picture back and frankly they didn't need (laughs) they didn't need OJ (laughs) to beat her they just had to take a a helicopter over the gated community into the Dearborn TPC where they lived, and they just beat the shit out of her with that Oh, but um yeah, anyways, O.J., John Edwards, that much difference? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, 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 had, we don't know that John dead. Edwards killed anyone. No, but, you know, we don't know necessarily O.J. did either. Ah. I mean, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of evidence that I would mm-hmm. tend to say guilty, but I'm going to give him, you know, let's, let's, let's see how this Twitter account plays out
1: <laughs> <laughs> before Has we render judgment. Has he blocked No, him? I
2: think he may have blocked our son, Anthony, <laughs> though. <laughs> <laughs> OJ Simpson blocks our son uh, on Twitter. That's beautiful. That's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad badge of honor, though, really. I mean, at least he didn't stab anyone.
0: Right. Well, it's a great and, way to end our show. That applies for Anthony
2: too. Yeah, he <laughs> didn't stab anyone yet.
0: Absolutely no. That's uh, that's all very remarkable, and that's a great place to end our show. I want to thank uh, Joe Desano and Susan Demas for coming on this edition of Ticket Splitters to chop it up with us. And uh, just remember, drink apple juice. OJ will kill you. <laughs> <laughs>